what works and what doesn't. Understanding what works. What works for me. Understanding your own business to know what works. What works for you. This is What Works. We're going to talk about our favorite 2022 things, but before we get to that, Ron, how was 2022 for you? 2022 was good. I'm Tara McMullen, and this is What Works, the show that explores how to navigate the 21st century economy without losing your humanity. As we start to wrap up 2022, I wanted to share something a little lighter than most of my podcast fare this year. So today's episode features my husband and co-founder at Yellow House Media, Sean McMullen. We're running down the books, TV shows, podcasts, work tools, and miscellaneous finds that caught and kept our attention this year. You can find links to everything in the show notes. Now, let's get to the conversation. I think that the main theme for it is that, like, I learned all these things during the pandemic, you know, where, like, I mean, it's kind of embarrassing slightly, but I did very well during the pandemic, personally, emotionally, like, I was able to really take some time to evaluate my own personal priorities. And then in 2022, when in theory, we were able to kind of return to the world at large and return to the normal, I was able to reevaluate what I wanted that to be. And I can say that it's very different than what I was doing pre-2020 in a very, very positive way. You know, eating at home almost exclusively, just, I don't know, just feeling more focused. How about you? It was a weird year. (laughs) There were a lot of ups. And I can't say that there were a lot of downs, just a lot of um, sort of frustration that things weren't happening faster. So, I mean, overall, it was a good year. I'm really happy with a lot of the things that I did and worked on and made this year for sure. And I'll be looking forward to this time next year and hopefully be uh, doing all those same things, but in a slightly different spot career-wise. You know, I asked you this question before, and maybe you've had more time to think about it. Do you feel like there was something you could have done differently to make things move more quickly? And also moving things moving at a slower pace, are they still moving in the direction that you want them to go? Um, there's nothing that I could have done to make things move faster at my current capacity and making things move, trying to make things move faster has largely been what got me to the point of breaking at the end Mm -hmm. of 2021. So, uh, that's good that I just didn't fall back on that same behavior. I was really cognizant of that all year long. And I'll have to remain very cognizant of it into 2023. Are things moving in the direction? Yeah, I mean, I think so. Just, just slowly, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's frustrating to think like, I know so many different ways to make a lot of money, <laughs> for instance. Mm-hmm. And so many of them are not appealing, but they're also, I know they're just going to burn me out and ruin any progress I've had toward sort of 
you know, improving my mental health and, you know, all of that. So that's a weird place to be. <laughs> you know, I feel like I have such a strong vantage point. I just, I can see all these different possibilities, opportunities. Um, and I, at the same time, know that I've put those things off limits to myself for a very good reason. And I hope that that the things that are appealing and that are within my capacity, I can really dive into, especially in quarter one of 2023. I'm personally really excited to see what you do in 2023. You were talking about how when it comes to burnout, when someone hits burnout point, it's not something you can recover from really quickly. Like it takes time and it, and the the amount of time you told me was like two years or more mm -hmm. and that was a surprise to me like i had never even thought about like you know recover from burnout like i honestly probably would have thought about burnout as like a i'm gonna take a you know a retreat for a week and come back fresh and ready to go it sounds like it was it's, there's almost some like some deep programming involved with it there is deprogramming. I feel like I've been deprogramming for like the last five years. Um, yeah. I mean, that's really what the book is literally about <laughs> is the deprogramming. So that part, I feel that I'm at a really good spot on. I mean, there's always room for improvement and additional change and growth, but I feel pretty good about that. I guess it's still deprogramming in that. I think that there are some like neural pathways that I mm -hmm. am still uh, disconnecting and connecting to new things, right? So like- Retraining. Yeah, so like literally the emotional, the physical emotional response that I have when uh, you ask me to do something or ask me a question, right? Like what is still, why is that still happening? <laughs> but it's still happening because that kind of work takes a really long time. I think it's funny, though, that you said, you know, you thought burnout was something like you just needed to take a week off and come back and you'd be fresh. Well, no, I mean, it's it's more like I hadn't even thought about it. Like it was something that I hadn't even considered. Right. Right. And so my thought on that immediately was, oh, you've never experienced burnout before. I have, but nowhere near to the extreme, nowhere near to the extreme that we're talking about. Like, well, there's, I mean, there's two, it, it's, it's just like depression, right? There's clinical depression right. and then there's feeling depressed every so often, right? We use the same word to talk about two different experiences. Uh, same thing with trauma, which there's been a lot of conversation about this year for that very reason. And then burnout is exactly the same thing. So there, I don't think it's in like the DSM or anything like that, but there's sort of a clinical understanding of burnout. And then there's just like feeling kind of drained, like you need a vacation, right? And those are two distinctly different things. You know what it makes me think of? There was a long time before you, there was somebody I dated for a brief period of time who had had heavy metal poisoning mm -hmm. and was in the process of getting ready to do chelation therapy, chelation treatment. But as a result of the heavy metal poisoning, her energy capacity was almost zero. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, so most of us, we, we reach that point where we're at capacity, we are 
no longer have energy, but we still push through, right? Mm-hmm. But for her, it was she reached that point of no energy and she literally couldn't walk. Not even like a push through and it's uncomfortable. Like, I can't actually do this. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's, is that sort of along the lines you're talking about where it's, when I think of burnout, I'm thinking about, I'm over it. I'm exhausted. I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. I could, and I'm choosing not to. But like burnout is when you reach that point of like, like I can't move past, I can't go past this. Yeah. Or like last weekend, I was telling you that I real I feel like I'm at this spot with running where I just can't get past 16 mm. miles. Like 16 miles, it's a plateau. Like I know I can get past 16 miles, but right now, when I do 16 miles, there's a point around 15 and a half, 16 miles where the I, where I physically can't make my legs move in the running pattern anymore. I can still walk, but uh-huh. I can't run. I'm excited to see how things go for you in 2023 because I'm excited to see what you do post-burnout. <sighs> Well, I I think though what we're saying is that 2023 is still not going to be post burnout for me. But oh, so so when you're saying like the recovery time of a couple of years, we're like middle of it as opposed to coming into the tail end of it. Yeah. Well, shit. <laughs> I mean, I feel light years better than I felt at the end of 2021. Like yeah. just night and day, and I know that. Feeling better is not the same thing as having recovered my capacity. Yeah, and that's a dangerous point, right? Because then you're going to like, you're tempted to get right back into it. And it's like, you have to remind yourself you're not ready. You could recreate this problem very easily. Yeah. It's like totally that story of people who feel like they're feeling better. And they're like, I'm going to, like you should, like the doctor says, don't do any hefty heavy lifting for two weeks. And at like five days, you're feeling great. And so, and then you're yeah. like, you know have another hernia or something. Sorry, I'm having all sorts of weird metaphors today. <laughs> no, no, I think that's a great, that's perfect. Yeah, it's exactly yeah. right. And I mean, that's the story of my life post like the age of 12 is just burning out, starting to feel better, overworking, running faster than I should be, working at a faster pace right. than I should be, and then burning out again and just going through it over and over again every four or five years and yeah you're exactly right now is the time when i need to be even more cognizant of not overextending myself because the risk of just getting back into that those neural pathways right that have been worn so deep uh over the last 25 years um it's just the 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 risk of it is just so huge you just don't want to recreate you don't want to go back there again no. Yeah. Well, on that note, yeah, let's talk about some stuff we enjoyed from the last year. You know, I think this, it's kind of ironic that we're talking about like consumption <laughs> at the end of the year, but at the same time, like, you know, I've thought a lot about consumption in all forms this year, just kind of always coming back to being very intentional about what I consume as a way of then turning that into something that I create. We're going to name some 
fiction. We're going to name some music. We're going to name some TV shows. Part of what we're kind of running down is what got our creative juices flowing this year. Yeah, 100%. Like, I'm always very apprehensive of just passive consumption. Mm -hmm. I mean, I testify, you know, I totally do a ton of that too, right? That's what TV is. <laughs> but a lot of our reading is like focused on like what's how can we then turn around the, and put this into our next book into our next podcast episode yeah yeah and it's not direct research right like it's more learning different modes of thinking different questions to ask different language to use yeah and one of the big themes for 2022 for me was the intentional disruption of curiosity ruts, as I'm currently calling mm. them, where what are the tools and systems that you can put into place to find information that you wouldn't have found, ideas, perspectives, people, et cetera, et cetera, that you wouldn't have found if you had just been left to your own curiosity ruts. So there are things that will like literally like knock you out of your rut. And so that's one thing I'd like to touch on while we're talking. Yeah, that sounds great. The other thing that comes to mind that we're kind of talking through is what we've invested our attention in this year. And I think that, you know, the idea of attention as an economic good right now is is really big. And it's something I've given a lot of thought to this year. It's something I'm continuing to give a lot of thought to. And it's something that is key to how we make money and how I think most of the listeners of this podcast make money in one way or another, right? Whether it's just marketing yourself by email or social media, or whether it's what you put your attention on in your work projects, or how it how you direct your kids' attention even. Um, I think that all it kind of swirls around. So this is sort of a way for us to kind of talk through what we've invested our attention in this year too. So tell me about a nonfiction book that you're excited about from this last year. So I wrote down two. I read a lot less nonfiction than you do. As you know, I read way more fiction. And so I was reviewing the books that I've read, and I have to admit that there are a lot of books, nonfiction books that I'd started. I kind of read sort of nonfiction in like a non-completist kind of way where I kind of like read it and then I skip a chapter and that's kind of how I consume nonfiction. Which but, is totally um, fine. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then I And then I come back to it. Like for me, nonfiction isn't like read it and finish it and then be done. It's like... It's a thing that I live with and return to. So there are there are a bunch of books that I'm currently living with. But some books that stand out for me right now are The Digital Zettelkasten, David Gaddafi. This was a year of me exploring different like ways to organize my own thoughts. You know, I have notebooks and scattered everywhere and little notes and like I was going to use this system and then I didn't use this system. The truth is, is that I started using creating a Zettelkasten for myself and then didn't use it. <laughs> so so Lou Blazer brought it up to me. She's the one who suggested this um, author and he has some other nice books. But this idea of creating a second brain as a way to keep track of your thoughts so you don't you don't lose them or have to fear losing them. 
And uh, I think one of the reasons that I sort of backed away from it was I kind of tended started to fall into sort of a digital hoarding tendency, where it's just like, I don't know that I really need to be saving this. So that was great. I think it just set me off onto a trajectory of like what of systems thinking in my personal life in a way that that connects and like creating systems for myself. So that was a big one. And then, of course, How to Do Nothing by Jenna O'Dell. She's amazing. And she speaks to me personally on so many levels because she's an artist and she's bringing all, you know, she's talking about the attention culture and she's talking about it from a place that I can really relate to. And you know me, like it, it falls into themes that I've always loved, like the art of doing nothing and, you know, boredom and just like, I, you know, these are things that I already fall into this, the research and study that I do. So you are the, actually the one that turned me on to that book. And I'm sure that a lot of people already know about it, but definitely if you haven't read it, I'd recommend it. What about you? So you know that I just recently wrapped up a sort of journey through the work of David Graeber. <laughs> Are you done? Are you done with that? Because he has a lot. No. Yeah, no, no, I'm not done. But I've read three of his okay. biggest now. So Debt, The Utopia of Rules, and Bullshit Jobs. I've just been really loving his work, not only for the subject matter, but his writing style. It is just so dryly funny, which is exactly what I want in nonfiction. It's like, I'm not here for slapstick, but you give me something that is dry, but funny, and I am all over it. Or like where you insert a funny thing out of nowhere. Like we're talking about the 5,000 year history of debt and just going through this sort of like anthropological survey of monetary systems or systems of exchange markets. And, you know, just every so often there will be a sentence that you're just like, what? <laughs> so that makes me very happy. And it, it really inspires me in my writing too, because that's certainly what I aspire <laughs> to, um, is very serious thoughtful writing that is sometimes also dry, dryly funny in unexpected ways. Those are all business adjacent or economics adjacent. He's an economic anthropologist, but a book that I thought would have nothing to do with the things that I think about, but actually had everything to do with the things that I think about uh, was The Floating Coast by Bathsheba DeMuth. She's a historian and Floating Coast is the history of the Bering Strait because of your history, you know, I'm, I, my ears perk up anytime we start talking about Alaska. And this book was actually super interesting in that it was sort of an ecological history, but it was also a history of the political ecology of the two sides of the Bering Strait. So examining what Imperial Russia was doing on their side of the Bering Strait and what settler America was doing on the Alaska side of the Bering Strait, plus the indigenous populations um, on both sides of the Bering Strait. And then, which was a big chunk of the, the book, this sort of like socialist capitalist divide on either side of the strait and how that impacted resources differently, how it impacted animals differently, and how it impacted the indigenous populations differently as well. And then the other one, we started talking about this one yesterday, but I wanted to shout it out 
in this episode is Easy Beauty by Chloe Cooper Jones. I read that on my little 40th birthday retreat and it was just a gorgeous memoir. She's a philosopher by trade and training, as well as as sort of a, a writer journalist type. So of course it's very beautifully written, but it also looks at her experience of disability from this very raw perspective, but also has this sort of intellectual distance from her own experience due to her philosophical training that allows her to comment on sort of the greater meaning behind even her lived experience and and how it ripples out into the rest of society and how we think about other people. It was moving. It was beautiful. It was sad. It was empowering. It was all of these different things all wrapped up into just a really great read. So you said you read a lot more fiction than nonfiction. What fiction stood out for you this year? So I did a little bit before we got onto this call, I did a little bit of an audit of my of what I've read this year, fiction wise. And so here are some highlights. Kobo Abi, Japanese author. He's probably best known for Woman in the Dunes. He has his his history is in theater, and it sounds like sort of slightly theater of the absurd parallel. But the book that I read by him that stood out to me, not it was less so the woman in the dunes was the box man. And he, this guy literally moves into like a refrigerator box and he has and he just lives in it. Definitely a commentary on like home and place and identity and things like this. It's it's pretty interesting. Weird. You know I like weird, so oh, yeah. And then I finished up all of Douglas Adams' books. So the whole Hitchhiker's Guide series and the um, Dirk Gently series. I have to say that the particularly the Hitchhiker's Guide series got better later on. Like the last mm -hmm. two were certainly my favorite. And that was pretty exciting to read. And then as a palate cleanser, I call him a palate cleanser, between like heavier books is Terry Pratchett's Discworld series. And there's like over 40 of them in the series. Who knows? Maybe by the time I die, I will have read all of them. But that's not really my goal. I always have the next one on hand so that when I finish up a book, I just go into the next one in the series. Light, comedic, fun. So I want to hear what you're reading, but then I want to hear what your plans are in the near future as well. So currently I'm reading Gene Wolfe's series and he's just like weird sci-fi. So I've been enjoying those. So that's sort of like what I'm currently working on. I don't have any reading plans for next year other than to keep reading what I've been reading. Fiction wise, early in the year, I was not reading hardly any fiction. I think I read a couple novels over holiday break and then really focused on memoir and cultural commentary and and obviously a ton of research economics and political and all sorts of stuff the first half of the year but then the second half of the year i got back into fiction so i finished two of kim stanley robinson's big ones this year the ministry of the future which was his last novel which is sort of a it's they call it cli-fi climate fiction <laughs> 
for for listeners, Sean is making a disgusted face because he doesn't like <laughs> words like that. Well, no, it's not so much that I don't like the words. Is it is is it that that's a very stressful, stressful genre? Well, so that's that's what was weird about it is I was expecting it to be a really angsty book or just not very post-apocalyptic, but more like mid-apocalyptic. And it is to a, an extent. And the beginning of it is pretty dark. And not only with that, but I was reading the beginning of it, which involves a heat wave during a heat wave. <laughs> and it was, that was a lot to like process. But the book actually turns to this very hopeful place um, about I, uh, maybe halfway, two thirds of the way through. And I won't spoil anything, but it's just a really great sort of meditation on human ingenuity and how the kinds of almost magical engineering <laughs> that we've done to get to this bad point could be the same sorts of magical engineering that we could utilize to get to a more sustainable way of life. So that's that one. And then I also read The Years of Rice and Salt, which reimagines most of human history through the lens of, well, what if the plague actually had eliminated 95% of the population of Europe? How would the world have developed differently if China and India and the Middle East were the major world powers? You know, if Christianity had not emerged as the dominant religion of the major economic powers, fascinating but again like a very similar kind of cultural review historical review of here's how things could be different and also here's how some of the things would be exactly the same so that's kim stanley robinson basically a science fiction or speculative fiction writer also in the sci-fi vein was the monk and robot books by becky chambers they're quick little novellas and there's two of them. I don't know if she's writing more of them, but they're excellent. And they were just, again, a very like hopeful, not quite post-apocalyptic, but post-major disruptive change in the world. And it was just, they're just lovely. And then the other fiction, I read a lot of Emily St. John Mandel this year, inspired by reading her not sequel, but let's call it follow-up to Station Eleven, um, which came out a number of years ago. And the, this year's book was called Sea of Tranquility. And I heard an interview with her on the Ezra Klein show, which, you know, I'm all the time talking about the Ezra Klein show <laughs> on the podcast. So um, I heard an interview with her. And at first I was like, I don't know if this is something I want to read or not. Then I read it. I really enjoyed it. And it's the first book I think I've ever read where the more I thought about it after I read it, the more blown away I was by it because it is taking all of these different threads from her previous work. So not just Station Eleven, but also these other worlds that she's created along the way. And it's being woven into something that resembles almost autofiction, but not quite because it's also completely speculative <laughs> but it was so good it was so good so that's my fiction 
Where do you want to go next? What's your plan for 2023? My guess is that you won't judge the success of next year on how productive you were, how many hours you worked, or even how much money you made. So what would a really meaningful year for you and your work actually look like? The specifics might be different for all of us, but if you're like me, doing remarkable work in a sustainable and satisfying way is a major priority. You know you want to incorporate more creativity, more time for thinking, more care for yourself and others. And yet, the old hustle and grind, performance-based, achievement-oriented ways of working are bound to creep in. Your work has evolved, but your way of working has not. I'm teaching a three-part live workshop in January called Work in Practice. I'll guide you through rethinking the way you work from the ground up. We'll dismantle old mindsets and standard operating procedures, and then we'll build a vision for work that's based on sustainability and satisfaction. Ready to find out more? Go to workinpractice.life. That's workinpractice.life. We watched way too many television shows about Vikings, I have to tell you. So the Vikings, right? That I think was it's the, just Vikings. Vikings. Was that the good one? Yes. Yeah, that was the that was the better of the two. Where you actually had some female characters that weren't just like props. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that actually had the passed the Bechtel test and had some character development and yeah. It was pretty great. It was also kind of weird, which again, love it. What was the other Vikings one we ended up watching? That was the, the, the last, last Kingdom. The Last Kingdom. I enjoyed that one, I think, more than you did. The women characters had almost no character development there. Yeah. And, and what character development ended up for one female character was ludicrous. Yeah. At the very end of the show. Like it yeah. made no sense. And then my favorite television show of last year was Our Flag Means Death, which was created by Tara, would you say his name? Because I mess it up every time I say it. <laughs> oh, Taika Watiti. So great. So great. Comedy, parody, gay romance. <laughs> so good. Female characters that actually develop. <laughs> Did you want to say anything that you, a television stood out to you or you want to move on to movies? Yeah, I don't think any of the trashy documentaries that I watched this year deserve mention. <laughs> so, you know, if you're in the uh, vague interest in cults because you studied religion in college and uh, just can't get enough, you know, you know what I watched. It's fine. So what, uh, we watched the new Thor, right? Is that the mm -hmm. one? Yep. We are not really movie people anymore, are we? We just don't hardly no. ever watch movies. So we watched Thor. That was pretty good. Mm -hmm. Another right? Taika Waititi. Yep. He's fab. He's, I, I, like, I'm at the point where I'll watch anything that he makes. And then we watched Doctor Strange, which, Tara, do you want to review this one real quick? <laughs> it was actively terrible. That's yeah. my review. Yeah. That was bad. Yeah. 
It was actively terrible, which pains me. Um, another movie that I watched this year that was actively terrible was Moonfall. Wow, that was actively terrible as well. Let's do podcast next. So everyone knows that we make slash listen to podcasts for a living. I listen to lots of podcasts that I have absolutely no financial connection to. Um, you do not. Um, mm -hmm. But there are some things that you do listen to, and people might be surprised as to what they are. Well, I want to preface this with because I listen, I literally do listen to podcasts all day long about working, you know, the, the stuff that we're producing, that by the end of the day, like actively, the last thing I want is to listen to somebody talk. Right. And, like, I just want my thoughts to be my own. And when I'm listening to someone talk, you know, you're, you're engaged with someone else's thoughts. And so okay, I'm, so that... That's so funny, though, because mine is the exact opposite, right? Like all day long, I'm engaged in my own thoughts. Yeah. And see, that's different because yeah. you, you're in content creation in, in a very different way. Like I right. produce, I engage with content creation after somebody else has created. Like I'm the editor, I'm the producer. You, on the other hand, are actually part of the ideation. And so I can see that. It's like in that flow of information, we fall into it into in a couple of different places. So there are two podcasts that I listen to and I've been listening to for years that I listen to weekly because they both only put something out once a week. The first one's called uh, Low Light Mixes and literally no one talking. Like there is no commentary. And it's um, Lucy, what you'd call ambient music podcast. Sometimes the ambient, you know, think about ambient in like the broadest sense. It's pretty, usually pretty mellow. I mean, you know, I like that kind of stuff anyway, so it's pretty good. And so I'm learning, it's a good place to find new artists. And then the other one is a podcast called Framework Radio. And I would say that this one's one of those fuzzy places where it, it's not produced to be a podcast. Mm. It's produced to be a syndicated radio show. And this is a exploration of the creative side of field recording. So field recording being taking your microphone into the field and recording, right? And field recording in its like pure just capturing sound sense or a lot of these field recording are actually remixes of field recordings. It's also in contemporary classical. Like you'll have someone playing instruments in a live sense, but utilizing field recordings mm. So there's a lot of that kind of thing. Do you have a really long list for us? Or are you gonna? How do you think you're gonna keep? No, it down I kept to? it really short. Okay, because <laughs> you literally listen to more podcasts than anyone I know. Yes, you listen to them while you're baking, while you're brushing your teeth, while you're out running, while you're taking a walk, while you're. I mean, when don't you listen to podcasts? When I think you might start talking to me. <laughs> See, that's it. Like literally all of yeah. the time. Yeah. 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 So some of my finds from this last year, I don't, I guess the way I found this day in esoteric political history, which is a Radiotopia show, was because I found the Oprah Demics show first. And one of the co-hosts on Oprah Demics is also a co-host on this day in esoteric political history. And um, Oprah Demics was awesome. I can't wait for them to release more episodes. 
it will most likely not have Oprah in the title when they come back because Oprah served them with a cease and desist. Not in like a mean way, just in like a, hey, we love what you're doing, but also like maybe please don't use Oprah's name in the title. At least that was the the news that I read. So I didn't want to shout that one out specifically, even though I kind of am right now, just because I don't know what you might find it under in the future. But this day in esoteric political history is exactly what it sounds like. Three times a week, they find some sort of event from uh, U.S. history that is something that maybe you knew about, but you didn't really know about, or it's something you've never heard of before, but actually has some greater significance in the course of U.S. history. And they really talk through all different sides of that event. So it's two historians, and then the host, Jody Avergan, is a journalist. Really fun and short, like 15 minutes per episode. So that's my like go-to Drying My Hair podcast. Another show that I found this year is called Drafting the Past with Kate Carpenter, another history show. And this is how I found Floating Coast by Bathsheba DeMuth. Kate Carpenter is getting her doctorate in history. And and so she started this podcast about writing history. And so she talks to historians about their research process, their writing process, how they find the stories that they focus on, where they write, how they write, all of those things. It's really lovely. And it's produced really nicely, too, just with a very light touch. But a lot of those things that, you know, like you and I are very insistent upon with our clients (laughs) of just cleaning things up and making them sound just a little bit better than your average interview show. It's really lovely. And you don't have to be a historian to get a lot out of it. I think if you have any interest in writing and research or content creation of any kind and research, it's a great, it's a great thing to listen to. Two others that I'll shout out The Feminist Present, which comes out of Stanford's Gender Studies Department. I found that last year, but I don't know that I've given it enough airtime. And I just want to say, I freaking love this podcast. It is (laughs) two co-hosts, and they have just the most amazing guests on people I've heard of, people I haven't heard of. So The Feminist Present, really awesome. It's just cultural studies in general, but specifically through a gender lens, just so good and funny and really human and super smart, but not pretentiously so, just really good. And then Michael Hobbs, his new podcast with Peter Shamshari is called If Books Could Kill. And the premise of this show is just so good. So first of all, I would listen to anything that Michael Hobbs made. But yeah, so the premise of the show is looking critically at quote unquote airport books. So those books that are nonfiction that you see in the airport if you're there, but also like they're at the top of the bestseller list. They're sort of pseudo intellectual, you know, your Malcolm Gladwell's, your Michael Pollan's, those kind of things. It's excellent. And it's not just excellent because it's funny and it's fun to debunk this kind of stuff. It's also really excellent because it's uh, yet another 
channel for me to understand the like textual analysis of a thing that I find really helpful as a content creator myself. So those, those are my four podcasts with some bonuses in there too. <laughs>So workier stuff, I'm kind of putting in a category of like apps and subscriptions and sort of maybe things that you found on the internet in general this year mm -hmm. that have been helpful worky wise. So two of mine right off the top are JSTOR and Perlego. <laughs> I know these are very strange things. So JSTOR, which is the letter J, S-T-O-R is a really large archive of lots of different academic journals. It's essentially like a research library or a journal archive that goes back, you know, way, 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 way back. And then also has some pretty recent stuff as well. Similarly, Perlego, P-E-R-L-E-G-O, is also a research library type site that you pay, I think, a hundred bucks for the year. And that one, as opposed to journals, is books. So lots of things from academic presses, lots of things from sort of textbook presses, and then some just random general reading as well. And so like with Perlego, one of the, what I think is funny, I laugh at myself about this is like, I've done a lot of sort of critical commentary on girl wash your face this year. <laughs> and I'd love to do more. Like if, if anyone's listening and you want to do a limited podcast series on tearing apart girl wash your face, I'm here for it. But I didn't want to buy that book, even though I knew it had all sorts of stuff in it that I could use as fodder. And so it was available on per Lego. And I've just been reading it on there all year long <laughs> instead of giving her my money. What What's a worky thing that you found this year? Well, the first thing that I found this year is Arena, A-R-E dot N-A. They sort of describe themselves as social media, but I would say that not social media in the sense that a lot of us think, at least the way I think of social media what it is, is it's it's very similar to creating bookmarks for yourself where you create folders and then you can follow other users or follow specific folders that they have. So if they are if they're collecting a certain topic that you're interested in, you can follow that. And what I like about it is, is that there's no algorithms that I know of involved. So it's not like it's not telling me what I what it thinks that I would like to see. And the reason that that is so significantly important to me is back to what we were talking earlier about like these these curiosity ruts mm -hmm. is that if an AI, and I'm not saying this in like paranoia kind of way, I'm just saying this in like a this is obnoxious kind of way. If an AI is determining what it thinks that I should be seeing, I will never see things outside of my own interests. So to have some place where I can go and be exposed to things that I would never, ever in a million years find on my own. I am finding the most interesting things and different angles and perspectives. And it's a very diverse, very diverse group of people that are using it. For me, it's sort of like my, I'm going to go and get my creative curiosity juices going in a way that I wouldn't have thought otherwise. I joined the pause and the play community. 
Erica Corday and India Jackson's community. Friends of the pod. Friends. Yep. We produce their podcasts. And yeah, it's just been great. You know, their whole deal is, is to take things away from being implied to being explicit. Again, sort of similar to the curiosity, right? If I want to grow in a particular direction, I actually have to take like active steps in a direction. And so if I want to be involved in a community of people who are questioning what is normal, who are trying to bring diversity, equity, inclusion to literally everything that we do, I have to do it with intention because it's not going to happen by accident. And so, I mean, those are the reasons originally that I ended up there. And now I'm just there because, well, I'm there for that. And I'm there because I'm, I'm making friends. And there's just a great, great group of people. So I recommend that to anybody. Another thing that I found this year is a service called Track Club. It's a music licensing subscription service that was born out of a company that we've licensed music from before called Marmoset. And Marmoset and Track Club works with independent musicians to make music available to creators. So Marmoset was always where we went for theme music, as long as, you know, people didn't mind paying a little bit more. And they have been incredible. But then this year they rolled out a subscription service right as I was sort of transitioning the podcast into something a little bit more narrative and was, you know, spending tons and tons of time on Envato looking for decent music. So I still spend a lot of time looking for the right music, but I don't have to wade through crap anymore. Like yeah. everything on Track Club is wonderful and it is put there for a reason and i just need to really think about you know what i want a particular section of an episode to sound like and i will find it and then another thing that's been super valuable to me this year is a service called study hall uh, study hall is a newsletter and community for freelance writers and i found it after taking a catapult class last year on learning basically how to pitch freelance writing to publications. And so what study hall does is every week you get a list of study hall opportunities and they have gone through Twitter and other places where publications post calls for pitches and they aggregate them all into one list and they list rates. They won't post anything that doesn't pay at a certain level. They list, you know, the email address of who to get in touch with, exactly what the publication is looking for, all of these things. And that's just in the weekly email. There's also an editor database on the site if you uh, pay for like maybe their top level or their middle level, other really helpful resources on the website. And so if you're thinking about freelance writing at all, whether it's from a career standpoint or whether it's from a like PR standpoint, it's my God. Like, I, <laughs> you know, I've gotten in Fast Company this year. I got in The Muse this year. I got on Quartz this year. And I wouldn't have done those things without my study hall subscription. All right, miscellaneous lightning round. First shout out goes to King Arthur Flower and their whole King Arthur website for making me a better baker this year. John? Our cats that we adopted off, the, <laughs> off, the, off of the alley, Winifred and Birdie. 
They're wonderful. My second one is crosswords. I got really into crosswords this year, and that's been very good for my brain. Knitting is my shout out. This is the year that I am committing to actually making myself a sweater that fits. <laughs> and you're almost there. I just have to put the arms on it, yes. I think that I have mentioned this in passing at some point on the show, but my last, I think this is my last shout out. Yeah, my last shout out is Taroka, who makes my glasses. They are prescription glasses for athletes. They have these amazing, they call them gecko pads on the nose and then the earpieces so that like I can do yoga, I can run and they don't budge. They're amazing. I wore a pair of non-Roka glasses for a year and was sad every day because my glasses fell off. These are amazing. They're worth every penny. My God, just, just a huge life improvement there. One more. I'm going to do a shout out to Trish, who, uh, <laughs> who pierced my nose. So I got my septum pierced and... Trish was great. She was very kind and gentle when I went into shock and almost passed out and fed me candy while I recovered from my shock. Oh, can I shout out one more shout one more shout out? Of course. I want to shout out, I want to give a shout out to Naps in the afternoon when the rest of the world thinks that you should be working, take a nap. I I highly encourage it. Any final thoughts about 2022? It went by so fast. And it was a good year. I feel like I'm in a really good space because of 2022, actually, personally, emotionally, mentally. Yeah. What about you? I don't, I, I think we pretty well debriefed by 2022 at the beginning. Feeling cautiously optimistic. Yeah. Any thoughts from you about moving into 2023? I have goals and plans. And I'm looking forward to sharing them with the world and um, hoping I can maybe get some coaching clients in 2023. I can actually put some, put a package together. Hope to have my own podcast. All right. Well, uh, I'll see you in the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> see you at the water cooler. <laughs> yeah. What Works is a production of Yellow House Media. Our production coordinator is Lou Blazer. Emily Kilduff is our production assistant. This episode was written by me, Tara McMullen, and edited by Marty Seafeld and me. Sean McMullen is our executive producer. All of the music in today's episode is from Track Club by Marmoset, a certified B Corp. What Works is recorded on the ancestral homeland of the Susquehannock and Conestoga peoples in what is now called Central Pennsylvania. The Yellow House sits on the unceded land of the Kutunaha Nation. 